Hello and welcome to Are We Nearly There Yet? I'm Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. I mean, it's just stupid having a business that doesn't have diverse, cognitive diversity. I don't just mean characteristics and so on. It's just a dumb way to run a business. So as a business leader and as a woman, it just really irritates me. So I thought I'd do something about it with women in nuclear. Today I'm talking to Adrian Kelby, who is the Chief Executive of the Office for Nuclear Regulation, which is the independent body that regulates the safety and security of UK nuclear sites. Adrienne lives in Liverpool, uh, near Bootle, where she works. Welcome Adrian, and thanks so much for finding time to talk to us. You're most welcome. This is an awesome idea. I wish I had a podcast to listen to when I was starting out, so it's great. I'm happy to help. Lovely. So tell us a little bit about your early childhood and time at school. You grew up in Scotland and tell me about that. What were you like as a, as a youngster? Most people will consider my accent to be Glaswegian, where I was in Glasgow for many years. But actually I was in Ayrshire for quite a, a good bit of my childhood. So between Glasgow and Ayrshire, um, I was a very studious young girl. I'm an only child. Uh, my dad was an engineer. And my mother did various things, including a state agency, but she was very unwell for um, quite a bit of my childhood. So I had time with her at home uh, quite a bit. But in terms of schooling, as I say, it's studious, always did my homework, always on time. As my mum has frequently berated me um, and or reminded me, depending on how you see it, you know, at uh, sort of primary two, I had my report card explaining I was um, quite organised uh, in making sure everybody put their paintbrushes away cleanly and tidily after painting with potato heads. So I think I think from an early age, I quite like structure and order to things, it's fair to say, and I'm still a bit like that with work. It comes in really handy for project management and being a chief exec. But I also love playing about outdoors, you know, climbing trees, being bikes, bit of a tomboy. And my passion really was horses. So I think uh, I was seven when I first went on a pony and uh, I never let my parents hear the end of it. I did eventually wear down my parents' better, better judgments and um, they were kind enough to buy me or get me a loan pony first. And then I had some of my own um, and I was a, a Scottish show jumping champion and um, very uh, strong cross country championships as well. But really, honestly, as anybody will know, if you get a hobby, it becomes all consuming at that age because uh, you can afford it to. So great student, but um, I, my passion, my love was being on horseback. Wow, wow. So studious, you sound like you were relentless once you got something in your head. You. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's probably, yeah. I think and... most people would say I'm a bit persistent when I want something. <laughs> and organised as well. Very organised. And actually, you have to be, uh, you know, I look back now and I think, you know, what was I thinking? You know, I, I don't even, I don't even like, you know, particularly being out in the rain these days, but you know, every every morning up to, to walk some miles to go and do the muck and out, the feeding, you know, and this is at a fairly, you know, 12 years old. Um, so I think there was a real discipline drilled into me in terms of critical path planning. You know, if I wanted to make X competition, then that meant I had to do Y qualifier. That meant I had to be fit, you know, uh, at X point and feeding schedules and training and practice. So I think that was really, really good for me. I loved it. It didn't feel like work. But now I look back and think, 
what was I doing being up at that time going out in that pouring rain I'm not doing that today (laughs) (laughs) so as as you went through school and you started to think about your sort of next steps and what you were going to do with your life what what were the sort of thoughts that were going through your head and how did your path sort of sort of go after school I I mean I really am the antithesis of anybody with a career plan I've I've never had one and I still don't know what I want to do uh, when I grow up that's that's very much how I feel and you know in fairness I think the careers uh, advice that was available was was pretty poor uh, you know, I remember pretty much being told I could be a secretary, which seemed like an exciting job, actually. You know, you get to do lots of organising, <laughs> planning. <laughs> well, that sounded great. But, you know, everybody expected that I would go to university as well. So I remember doing a couple of uh, a couple of university visits and, and the two things which are probably polar opposites, I, and I recognise, that interested me were psychology and accounting. And I'm certainly much more drawn to the psychology of uh, people than I am to the accounting these days, I can tell you. But for me, it it just wasn't something I wanted to do. I didn't want to spend four years of my life on on what I saw as one thing. So um, I I ended up doing one year at college in business uh, studies. And, uh, you know, at 18, I was off to get a job. And and my first job was in Cologne. So I wasn't afraid to to literally leave home and and head off. Uh, And I did become a PA, uh, you know, and, and for a few years attempt as as a PA and and I literally just kept looking for what came up. I never looked for jobs, just um, was, you know, looking for something which was a good opportunity to learn and to do more things. And as a temp, that was an amazing breeding ground because if you're somebody that pays attention to what's going on, not just what you're doing, which is, I think, how I'm built, and therefore being paid to go in to different organisations and watch what's going on, was amazing for me. I absolutely loved it. And um, that was a, a huge learning point for me about the fact that organisational culture is very different, that people work very differently, that structures and governance is very different. You know, I worked in everything from a small bookkeepers to uh, British Petroleum, you know, as they were doing a merger of Brit Oil at the time. So my thoughts about career have, really are still, how can I be helpful? Where will I learn? And is this an environment in which I think I can feel comfortable and do well? And, and that still really is, is what's going on, even now, you know, with a, with a fancy job title, the chief exec. It's, it's still a job which is in service to other people, um, you know, both my team and the public and the stakeholders that we serve. And, and I, I love that about us. I absolutely love being an ONR. But all of my jobs have taken me through huge learning curves, it's, it's fair to say. So tell us a little bit about that sort of culture point that you you mentioned in different organisations, because that's always been something that's interested me. You know, you think you know an organisation from the outside, you know, they've got a reputation and everything. But sometimes when you you join an organisation, it feels completely different from maybe how it looks from the outside. And that that culture, that sort of values that the organisation has, the behaviours and and, and all of that can be so different in organisations, which you know, sort of ostensibly sometimes sort of doing the same thing. I agree. Um, And it can be very different in different bits of organisations. I've worked in very, very small organisations. You know, when I think back to early days when I was fortunate to get a great job as operations manager for the, the, the charities board, which dished out lottery money, really the team I was working with there was only about 50 people right up to Hull City Council, which was about seven and a half thousand when I started. So, you know, again, you see differences in, in complexity of task, but also of organisation. 
for me, I think culture has to be something which is conscious. Um, it's too easy to blame organisational culture for things that aren't right. It's too easy to say, oh, it's just how it's done around here. Uh, and it really frustrates me, actually, when I hear that, because I think, well, you're part of it. Change it. You know, again, when I think to my early career, I, I don't think Amy ever talked about culture, but I now understand that's what I was looking at. And, and I can think back to, you know, an early job in the HR team in, in digital uh, debt, as it was, a huge multinational computer company. They treated me really well, even though I was just the temp. Just the temp. And I remember that often, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a phrase you get, probably just the apprentice, just the graduate, just the band six, you know, all that stuff I, I abhor. You know, actually, I'm a human being. I have equal value to you. You have yet to see it, I imagine, but let me work on that with you. And what I loved about that, that culture, as I now understand, it was, um, you know, the, the, the HR head, a lovely woman called Christina uh, Bowman. I still remember it years and years ago, later. And she said to me, gosh, you're really quick at this. You know, I can see you're picking that up really well. Is there anything else you'd like to get involved in? Now, that spoke to me of culture. That told me I was a valued part of that team, even though I was just the temp. So, of course, I said, yeah, what other stuff have you got? And she gave me loads of opportunity. I worked harder than most of the people, eh, frankly, who were in a similar job. That was never a problem for me. But that spoke to me of culture. Uh, it spoke to me of culture when, you know, they gave me a different job in the same company, working with people in seven different countries. And um, physically, you know, time zones, that's going to be interesting. They're going to be different. They were selling in different countries. So again, I learned that even the way we do business with the different areas was slightly different. One particular team, you know, was extremely precise um, and valued that and, and Timius. Another team, a bit more lackadaisical, a great performers. It just was different for them. So I had to fit in with them. And that was a very important point because my job was to help them do theirs. Whereas I think perhaps in, in a big organisation undergoing huge change like it was at Hull when that job was super hard because it was really making huge redundancies and huge, huge cuts. Not 4 to 5%, 28, 29, 30% of your own body weight in, in essentially um, savings was, was, was extremely emotionally and, and physically and mentally tough on everybody, including you know, the people in services who knew that they were probably not going to have a job. Uh, at the end of the year and yet that culture was one of people really doing what they could while they could and that really spoke to me all public service and whilst what we were doing wasn't very nice it allowed me to lean into what needed to be done and to do it with dignity and and you know with a very very open communication style and, and actually that got huge amounts but the individual pockets in the council you know was very different from child services to the lawyers who worked up in the fifth floor and that was very different to people working who were school teachers you know employed by the council or folks doing um you know road sweeping and uh you know picking up our, our bins which we all you know appreciate a hugely important service but very very different to, to engage with and and you know i recognized again you have to to figure out what's really working for you in the culture it's not about making it the same it's not about making it your culture but it is about saying these elements work really well for what you guys have to do. This is an issue. These are the problems and the downsides and being very aware of it. But I'd encourage, honestly, I don't care how early you are in your career, don't just do the task. Look at what's going on and ask a hundred questions. Irritate everybody to the nth degree because 
that is the time when you're going to find out and notice stuff that's going to give you a huge advantage in your career. It's not just about the task. Everybody can do the task. Not everybody can do people. And that's what's really going to help people have a, a range and a choice in their career, which I think opens up a whole world to people while still being great at the task they love. That's right. So it's, it sounds like in all those roles, you've you've made a habit of sort of stepping outside your comfort zone, stretching yourself and learning. But it, it also sounds that you've you've got a kind of natural ability to understand the world around you and the people around you. Is that something you've learned or is that something that has just come naturally to you, do you think? Uh, it's definitely still a learning journey. People are very complex. You know, I don't even understand myself sometimes. And why, am, why am I having this reaction? Why am I feeling you know, this way? I think I was raised to be curious, I have to say, and, and to not be fearful. You know, I, I don't really have a fear of hierarchy or asking an awkward question or having what some would see as an awkward conversation. And, and I think perhaps as an only child, you know, that, that I think there is a dynamic in there which has been slightly different for me and that that's how I learned. I didn't have siblings to copy or, or indeed to show. But I think the the curiosity about what motivates people definitely goes back to if I'd gone to uni, I'd probably have done the psychology, not the accounting, which would be a very good thing for the world. I tell you, I'm not great with numbers these days. And I think just because I, I did change, you know, a, a lot, you know, jobs in those early years, you, you really, and I changed school, actually. I was in four uh, different schools. That sense of being able to understand the world through other people is very important. Um, you know, I have a bit of a saying uh, that those who work closely with me or if you, you ever sort of follow social media, which is your comfort zone is not your friend. And, you know, this view that when we're comfortable, it fe- I mean, it feels great. It's like this warm, seductive, giant, you know, slinky doobie around us where we just sit. And, and some days we need that comfort zone because we're tired or we're pressured or we're unwell. And, and there are definitely times to indulge that, to stay mentally well. But I do worry that there isn't enough prompting. I think in some teams or in some sort of relationships with their line managers that, you know, really, I think great line managers prod people out of it. They say, right, okay, we've been here for a while. Let, let's talk about what let's talk about what we're not tackling. And I think the skill in having those conversations, which at first might feel challenging, is is actually the biggest gift you can give to anyone else. So I, I read a lot um, about this, uh, but but it probably goes to my earlier career when I was a trainer for you know a couple of years and a training coordinator. And I worked with people from extremely deprived backgrounds, victims of domestic abuse, um, you know, very, very poor households, uh, uh, you know, a very different range to, to the people that I work with in ONR, for example. You know, when I started doing my uh, postgrad qualification and training, despite not having done a degree, I went on and did that in my spare time because I wanted to be a good trainer. I didn't just want to be like a mediocre trainer who just happened to get the job. And that really opened opened my eyes um, in terms of learning styles, how people absorb information. So I think it really started to form for me then, you know, some 30 odd years ago, that there was actually some skill in getting other folk to do stuff and learn stuff. And we had great results in that programme. I'm, I'm hugely proud. I still hear at times from people uh, who I work with then who are doing great things. But this recognition that actually, as an individual in a team or in a group of friends, I have tremendous power, should I choose to take it, 
to not only get myself out of my comfort zone, but to get them out of their comfort zone and to make life richer. And I do think that's really what life's about. It's great to have a super job. But it's great to have great friends. I, I so miss traveling with this COVID nonsense. You know, I'm normally a wanderer of the earth, I can tell you. But I really do believe um, as human beings, we're here to make the world richer. And um, that's, that's one of probably the few things I'm capable of doing to, to achieve that goal. So that's, that's how I feel about it these days still. That's a lovely motivation, isn't it, to make the world richer? But I, 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 when I talk to young people in that programme, Becoming Me, that I, I mentioned to you earlier, one of the motivations, certainly for a lot of young people, is to is to have an impact. And in, in the world I live in, in energy and nuclear, it, it is about making the world a better place. I love that word, richer. Um, tell us a little bit more about that and how maybe you think you've, you're achieving that or making your, your contribution to that. Um, I do believe that serving the public in the best way I can is is my way. Um, I think if we you know turn that internally, I hope when I, I look back on the jobs you know that I've had, there is a, a little you know Adrienne shaped footprint long after I've gone in the sand, and and I believe that because the richness isn't coming from me you know i mean in energy field you know you know the sort of energy that radiates from us can only go so far it can physically only permeate a certain amount of space and a certain number of people but i do feel that by changing others viewpoints uh, by understanding them you know and, and, and kind of helping them grow get again back to that get out the comfort zone do something harder bigger tougher that they then radiate and, and that's a knock-on effect. And, and I put it really simply. So let's imagine, I mean, I'm, I am, you know, a sort of Glaswegian, you know, Ayrshire lass at heart. So when I go to a bus stop, I chat to people. There are some areas of the UK where people think I'm a weirdo because of that and literally look at me as if I'm about to rob them. Maybe the accent makes them a little uncomfortable. I don't know. I would just like to think that we are at least the metaphoric version of, you know, the bampot at a bus stop, having a chat and putting a smile on somebody else's face. Because if we can do that in a bus stop with strangers who we'll probably never see again, imagine the power we have to do that in an organisation or in a community or in a global forum. And that, for me, anybody can do that. That doesn't require a skill. That's an attitude. And again, if I go back to what I hope people are thinking about in early careers, often they get very fixated. And I mentioned some folks in early career at the moment. And the big question is, you know, how do I become X, Y, Z? You know, how do I get my next promotion sooner than everybody else? You know, how do I get it? And I'm like, whoa, why do you think you want that promotion? And why do you want it sooner than everybody else? Well, the cash should be nice, but I'm really competitive, whatever. Whereas I think let's actually just, pause for a little bit and think about our impact here because trust me when you do that the promotions come and you get a choice you no longer fixate on a job or a task you actually begin to see your impact and who doesn't want to hire you know the the, the young woman or the young man who makes them feel good about showing up to the office who doesn't want them on their team who doesn't want them as a manager i mean seriously Smiling can change the world, in my view. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And it sounds as if your approach to people is we're all people together. 
And one of the, the things I wanted to talk to you about was this whole question of diversity and valuing people for people in all sorts of roles. And of course, when you look at the data, you see that business isn't very diverse, particularly when you get to the top of the organisation. So tell me a little bit about your sort of approach to that. Uh, how do you encourage young people, maybe from ethnic minorities or women or so on, to take that journey that you've taken, which is, seems to be one of confidently stepping outside your comfort zone, stretching yourself relentlessly to be the best you can be and to enrich the world. How do you encourage those around you and make a difference in that sense? I think there's a mixture of structural, you know, kind of organised work in, in the organisation, whether it's, you know, from better mentoring programmes to really thinking about the way we train people. Uh, as well and, and again as you can imagine I'm really interested in how we train people with my background but I think it's it's got to be accessible for people and therefore um, I personally mentor uh, a number of people uh, after the Black Lives Matter campaigns recently I realized gosh you know I've, I have done a lot for for gender balance and that's easy for me to lean into because it's just stupid I mean it's just stupid having a business that doesn't have diverse cognitive diversity I don't just mean um characteristics and so on it's just a dumb way to run a business so as a business leader and as a woman it just really irritates me so I thought I'd do something about it with women in nuclear a lot of role modeling you know I know that my, my speeches over the years have given people sometimes a little confidence boost they call me a little confidence boost to go off and have that conversation that have been putting off which is never as bad as we think it's never this awful terrible unimaginable things will happen if I say this thing out loud you know you lie awake at night worrying about it just get it out but I specifically said this year I, I will do some mentoring with candidates from um, ethnic minority or black um, and I've loved that I've started already uh, with with one internal colleague as well as some externals and um, I, I'm sure he won't mind me me quoting him but uh, we, we started last week actually and he said gosh this is going really deep and we're only 24 minutes in. <laughs> and I had a bit of a giggle with him and he said, this isn't at all what I was expecting because I think he came, you know, ready to ask how he's going to get, you know, the next promotion quicker than anybody else. And what we actually spoke about was what he was like as a child, what his relationships with his family are like, where he feels valued, where he feels unsafe. Because I think when you approach people like that then you have a whole different landscape to work with just looking at somebody as a job title my very firm view is every one of us is a role model every one of us has the capacity to mentor and whether we like it or not every one of us leaves a footprint on other people mm. so we'd better make it positive mm, that's right that's right and it, it and it's all about people it's all about people isn't it it's not an equation where you just match skills with a need and plug the two together and think that's going to be the best for a business or for the, the person and the team and so on. It is about, um, it's the deeper things, isn't it? It's where people get meaning from their own personal values and, and the talents and what gives them energy and so on. I absolutely agree, Andrew. You know, this, this sense of motivation you know intrinsic in people is is incredibly important you know again I would say to folk as, as I did in my early career you know if you don't like a job if you, you don't feel and I don't mean it, you're out of your comfort zone I mean it just isn't good if you don't like who you're working with if you don't like where you work if you don't like what they do you're not a tree 
take up your roots and leave. Now, we might not like the choices we have, but there is always a choice. And, you know, I, I don't succumb to the, you know, poor me, it's all really difficult, you know, what difference can I make? Well, absolutely none with that kind of attitude. Whereas when you sit there and say, well, I don't have a lot of manoeuvres, but, you know, what could I do that would shift this even a little bit? Then you should do that. It's hugely empowering, isn't it, to think that you do have, actually, there are things and steps you can take, even if they're little steps, as you said, you know, to find that place that's right for you. Yeah. And even, honestly, even if the little steps in the wrong direction, because when you're moving, you know, just think about, you know, we love machines in this industry. Just think about something when it's moving, how much easier it is to turn while it's moving. You can't turn when you're going nowhere. You can't turn when you're literally stood like a tree rooted to the earth. Nothing happens. So you get rained on, can't get to the bus stop. You just sit there. Whereas when you realise, I don't know what the right answer is for me, but I'm curious enough to explore this avenue. Like all of the best, you know, engineers and scientists over the years, how many times did they fail? You know, how many times did we not get penicillin? Did we not get electricity? Did we not X, Y, Z? And on the way to doing something truly amazing. So I think the the big thing as well there is just, you know, be prepared to fail, ideally not in spectacular fashion. And to be clear, on behalf of ONR, not when safety is concerned. I'm not promoting, you know, double make care attitude to security or safety I just want to get that on record but you know the sense for me that you know I tried that it didn't work and and you know you feel failure and, and it's best to live with that because we don't like it that's fine but it's only on the way to success and and you need to try stuff so you know go even a few little steps in the wrong direction it's fine you're still moving and you can still then get over to where you want and that's something you figured out you don't like you don't want and you don't want to repeat that's not a problem. That's a win in my in my book. I agree. You you always learn from success and you learn from failure as well. If you imagine the young Adrian sat in front of you, what do you think would be your your one piece of advice you'd want to give her as she started off on her journey? Oh, she needed so much advice. I can tell you, she made so many mistakes along the way. Um, I think the piece of advice probably is what we were just uh, you know, finishing on there about being less fearful of failure and recognizing that that is a part of the journey. So, you know, I, I think for everybody, um, I think a way of doing that is to talk to those around you. And I, I again, in, in some mentoring sessions, I have a little term, you know, mirror signal maneuver. Have a look at where you've been. Check that it's still the thing, you know, that you're going to do. Tell people that you're about to move, you're about to try something, then do it. Because when you enroll other people in it, as opposed to holding that risk, as we might see it in our hearts, close and dark, you know, it's that we're the only one bearing it. We tell people, I'm going to try making a presentation tomorrow. I'm not really very sure if I'm great at it yet. So I'd really appreciate some feedback. It's my first time. I'm quite nervous. You know, you enroll people with you as you make that signal. And then when you manoeuvre, even if it was a bit rubbish, they're going to tell you what was good about it in a way that you won't remember because you're seized of this thing you're doing, which is scary at the time. So I definitely think, you know, be conscious of your fear of failure. Keep it in perspective and mirror signal manoeuvre. Oh, that's fantastic. What, <laughs> what, what great advice. And, and in doing so, you make the world a richer place, which I love. Adrienne, thanks so much for your time this morning. Oh, you're so welcome. And honestly, everybody listening, the professionals in this sector 
are, I think, exceptional. Um, I hope that there's been a bit of fun here. If anybody wants to ask anything or has a point of view, please comment on this. You know, social media is a great way of sharing things for free and for no time. And if I can help with anybody, drop me a message. I'm always happy to help. That's very kind. Lovely. Thanks so much, Adrian. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.